So once again, why don't we put our hands together and give a warm welcome to Pastor Shane Willard. Thank you very much. All right. If you're type lost following in a Bible, we're going to start in Revelation 21 and then go back to the, to the book of Luke. And then we're going to go all over the place, really. Anytime you're, you're preaching on a Friday night, you can make a, a fairly good assumption that you're talking to people who are believers, who have the faith issue with Jesus settled. The, the, the rest of it is, um, it is just sort of organizing what does that look like in our life. And so anytime I preach, I, I preach with the goal of I want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, and the resurrection to be central. So if Jesus gets bigger and the cross works better and the resurrection is more central, then really, no matter what we discuss, it's going to end up being a really good thing, even if we're wrong, which we're going to be wrong about lots. People ask me, you know, sometimes people ask me, they say, Shane, you know, how do you feel when you find out you're wrong? And I say, just, I feel not surprised. You can't, you you can't talk as much as I talk and not be wrong about stuff. The, The issue isn't to be right as much as it is to be motivated by what we know about God to be kind to others. And so if, if, if Jesus gets bigger and the cross works better and the resurrection is more central, then I find that that, that's good. So last night uh, we talked about, um, we talked about war horses and donkeys and blood and water and Bethesda. And we talked about not just the history of those things, but what that means for when we're in traffic in Hastings and what that means for when we're in the grocery store with the slowest cashier in the store and what that means when your husband leaves his underwear on the ground and what that, what, what that means when, when, when the bathroom's not left as clean as you like it and what, what that means when somebody makes a decision that disappoints you and what that means when we're hurt and in conflict and what that means when we don't feel like we're getting our way and what that means when, we, when we're tempted to get into the throes of petty theological debates about things that only affect 1% of people while a third of the world's starving, and what that means for us to be people who confront oppression before we argue and debate theology, that we are, we are people who are dedicated to fix world hunger more so than we are about honoring and, and declaring doctrinal correctness on every petty little thing. Jesus is the Christ. He is crucified and the resurrection is true, and that's enough. And so tonight, I want to talk about the resurrection. And, and what I did is, uh, on my table back there, I, I've got 24 different messages on the cross and resurrection. So there's just no way I could articulate all of that in one go. There's so many images around it and but I, I sought to go back and understand resurrection as the first century people thought about it. How did they take it at the time? Here's, here's how the Bible ends. Now, if you, want to, um, if you want to get a good sense of what a book is about, at least read the beginning of, and the end, right? So here, here's the end of the book. If you guys could bring the slides up. Revelation 21, verse 1. And this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, sea there is a, is a Hebrew euphemism for unbelief. Essentially, it's finally we're all on the same page. But, but the bigger thing I want you to see is, is that then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. There was this assumption that, that the writer of Revelation, a guy named John, was making. If the first heaven and first earth have passed away, then obviously there's something new 
coming. So what seems like the end is actually a new beginning. And you see this from the beginning. At the beginning of the Bible, God's making a new creation on the earth. And at the end of the Bible, God's making a new creation on the earth. So the beginning of the Bible, God's making a new creation on the earth. And the end of the Bible, God's making a new creation on the earth. And everything in the middle of the Bible is about God making a bunch of new creations on the earth to prepare the earth for the new creation coming to the earth. So the beginning of the Bible, God's doing something new on earth. And the end of the Bible, God's doing something new on earth. And everything in the middle is about God doing a bunch of new things on earth to prepare the earth for the new thing he's got coming to the earth. And and somehow our message became how to get out of here. (laughs) How to know you can go somewhere else. (laughs) How how do we go somewhere else? And and actually, when I dug into this, I found out that 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 message of evacuation is actually the antithesis of what Jesus was about. Jesus dies, rises again, and then rumor has it he ascended into heaven. And the confusing part is he took nobody with him. If the main point was to go to heaven, why didn't he just take everybody that followed him with him? He didn't. He said, I'm going to leave you here because I want you to establish heaven on the earth so that when the kingdom of heaven eventually comes to the earth, you have fully prepared it. In other words, the church is doing its job. When people go to heaven, they don't get whiplash. The idea isn't just getting people to heaven. The idea is they walk into heaven and think, oh, I've been living like this for a while. If heaven hit earth tomorrow and you would get whiplash, there's a problem. There's a problem. Like like my rabbi years ago challenged me to do this. He said, I want you to go back and reread everything Jesus ever said about heaven and ask yourself if you would like it. And so I did. And I found heaven very challenging, actually, after that. Like Jesus said that in heaven, you'll eat a dinner table with every tribe, tongue, and race. Well, if you're a racist, you're going to find heaven very challenging. And the, and the issue isn't be a racist, get saved, don't worry about it, you're forgiven. When you'll get to heaven, all things are made new. That's not the life Jesus talked about. Jesus talked about go ahead and get the racism off your life now. Allow heaven to be established in your heart today. Why would you wait? Now, this has huge implications for resurrection. Let let me read you Luke's account of the resurrection. This is from the gospel of Luke chapter 24. And it says, on on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the the women took spices uh, they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, as you do, right? In your experience, do dead people stay dead? so, So in your experience... Um, you, you've, you've likely, like we all talk about you know, resurrection and Jesus' resurrection and all, but, but I don't know if you do this in this country, but in America, when someone dies, you go to a wake. And a wake is when everybody goes in there and looks at the body, really. It's actually a very creepy custom. It's odd, but they, they do that. And I guarantee you, no matter how much you believe in resurrection, if you were at a wake and an embalmed body went, hi there, you just, you, you would wonder about this, right? Um, <clears throat> While they were wondering about this, as you do, when you go, "Mm, I wonder what happened here. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Again, something you would wonder about. Two phenomenons that none of us have likely ever experienced. One, a guy that you knew was dead and buried, suddenly his body is not in the tomb. You actually don't know what happened. Your thought would be someone stole his body. That's, that would be your thought. And then while you were wondering what happened, two beings that with, dressed in billows of light uh, appear before you. Once again, something to wonder about. Now watch, watch what happens. In their fright, of 
course. They're actually, one, in a tomb, which is creepy in and of itself, and two, suddenly in a tomb surrounded by beings of light. That's called flippin' frightening, right? (laughs) In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground, as you would. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He is risen, which is an incredible claim that the body was not stolen. Actually, he walked out on his own accord. Once again, this is not something you would just buy. Um, This is something that would be outside of the box, something you likely had never, ever seen in your life. The only precedent that the people closest to Jesus might have seen is when Lazarus, this thing, same thing happened to Lazarus. And so you're wondering about all of this. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So, so evidently, even for the first followers of Jesus, evidently there are times where Jesus himself tries to communicate a truth and people just don't get it, which is so helpful to me. Evidently, even, I mean, as a communicator, there's been so many times where when I got back to the table, someone came back to the table and I could tell by the question they asked that they missed the entire point. And, and everything, I, I did 465 one-hour talks last year. And, and so and sometimes in those 465 one-hour talks, you get tired and weary, and you get a little bit irritated. And sometimes all it takes is some person coming back and revealing with a question they're asking that they weren't listening to one word you were saying. To find out that Jesus poured his heart out for three years to people close enough to him to care enough about his body to come put spices on it, and even they didn't get it, is very encouraging to me. This story gets very long, so instead of reading the whole thing, it goes on and it just tells about a time where um, he had an encounter with two, two followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Now, the road to Emmaus is seven miles long. That's, I guess, here to Napier, right? And it says the entire walk... They didn't realize that it was Jesus. So evidently, um, Jesus looked much different in his resurrected body. Evidently, um, his resurrected body was a body because it has records of him doing things like eating and drinking and food not falling through. And evidently, evidently you've, you've, you've got an actual bodily resurrection here. But evidently, it must have looked different enough to where people who had walked with him normally did not recognize him. And so there was this, there was this moment, and he's on the road to Emmaus, and, and he's like, uh, remember he plays, he's like playing, I don't know, devil's advocate or something. He says, he says hey, um, uh, why are you so upset? And they're like, why are we upset? Have you not heard? Are you, were you born yesterday? Are you kidding me? Like, they killed Jesus. I mean, have you not heard this? Um, we, we, had, we traveled for two days. We had a party all day. We ate the biggest meal of the whole year. We drank four glasses of wine, and we fell asleep. And while we fell asleep, they came and got him in the middle of the night. And by 9 a.m., before we got back into town, he was on Golgotha on a cross. There was nothing we could do. And by 3 in the afternoon, he was dead, and there was literally nothing we could do. It was just terrible. This is, just, this is just so awful. They killed Jesus. And remember Jesus' response? So Jesus is like, really? Was he like a good guy or something? Like, was he, right? It's, it's one of those moments where if you've ever, have you ever wondered what someone actually thinks about you? And, and you, you've, you've just, had, um, it, this happened to me, this is a while back now. Um, my, my dad's mom um, got Alzheimer's in, in, in her old age. And, and she's, she's, um, she's passed away now and, and is with the Lord. But she, um, 
you know, I used to go see her, and people would say, Shane, why do you go see her? She doesn't even know who you are. But the issue wasn't that she didn't know who I was. I knew who she was. That's why I went and saw her. I mean, it was a matter of honor and, and care and that kind of thing. And so um, I got in there one day, and sometimes what, you'd always look in the window, and if she was jovial, it was fine. But if she was agitated, you wouldn't go in because she doesn't understand. It's just bad. And I looked in, and I could see she was jovial, and I walked in, and, and she was just having, she was just talking away to me, talking away to me. And, and I said, that is fantastic. She said, can I ask you something? I said, yes. She said, do you know my grandson, Shane? I said, no. But I've heard. She said, I said, is he awesome? She said, he is awesome. I said, really? She said, yes. He spoke last year in 96 countries. Okay, one, totally not true. That's, that's completely fabricated. But nonetheless, she's got Alzheimer's. Give her a break. You know, so you just, really, yes. And he fed 10 million children. So what, once again, not even close to the truth. But the, she, said, she said he speaks and he sells stuff. And the stuff he sells, she knew this much. The stuff he sells, he uses it to take care of orphans and things like this. And amazing. He's, he is awesome. He is awesome. And I, and I thought, and I just sort of you know, played that game. I, I think Jesus was doing something like that with these people. Like, tell me about him. What, what was his main message? I think, I think he's, he's trying to find out, did you actually get it, you know? And they're like, oh, he was supposed to take on the oppressors and set the captives flee and, free and, you know, put, you know, put sight to the blind. And that, but they killed him. It was just awful. And it says, after their seven-mile walk, he opened their eyes, and they could see him as he was. Which leads me to all kinds of questions like, have you ever needed to touch from God and the touch from God was standing in front of you, but because it didn't take the form you thought, you missed it? Yeah. Have, you ever put God, have you ever put Jesus in the box? Is it Jesus? If it doesn't look like this, it's not Jesus, right? So we say Jesus is the only way, but then we get to define what Jesus is. So we say Jesus is the only way, but if, if it doesn't look like this, it's not Jesus. Then, of course, we read passages in, like Corinth, in Corinthians where Paul says, hey, there was this rock in the desert, and Moses got water out of the rock, and the rock was Jesus, which leads to all kinds of questions like, is there ever a moment where Jesus can take the form of a rock in the desert? And if he can take the form of a rock in the desert, what else could he take the form of? And have we ever missed a touch from Jesus because we put definitions around Jesus that are too strict? Have you ever needed a touch from God and he was standing right in front of you and um, you just missed it? Watch the story keeps going. Watch this. Um, While they were still, so it goes through a couple stories where people have this encounter and people start talking. There's rumors starting to fly. Watch what happens. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, as you would be. In your experience, do dead people stay dead? Yes. Well, suddenly someone you knew died and was buried, and now is. And it says, while they were talking about this, so they're at some sort of dinner party or something, and they're having a chat, Jesus evidently just appears, which is just so Obi-Wan Kenobi. There's a few times in Jesus' life where he pulls the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. One time they're going to try to throw him off a cliff, and it says he just walks right through the middle of them, which is so Obi-Wan, really. I'm not the rabbi you're looking for. It's just so weird. (laughs) I just, I honestly, I think Jesus had such such a sense of humor. I can actually, in my imagination, picture a group of people talking about they think they've seen Jesus, and there's certain people going, come on, really? And, oh, yes, no, I saw it, and then, oh, come on. And then, like, right in the middle of them, like, his face appears here, and he's like, peace be with you, right? (laughs) And people are like, oh, my gosh, I could just, I can just picture it. And they, st- and they were startled and frightened, thinking they had saw a ghost. Of course you would. That is a completely normal response. 
And, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Hello, right? Look at my hands and my feet. It is me. Touch me and see. I would suggest no one was stepping forward to quickly touch him. I mean, well, I ain't touching you, man. You go first. You go first. You ain't no way, right? A ghost is not a flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now, no one steps up to touch him, so watch what happens. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have something to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Now, this is where it turns into a party trick. This is great. Watch this. And he took it and ate it in their presence. So essentially, he says, here, here, touch me, touch me, touch me. People are like, I'm not touching you. He goes, fine. Where's the fish? Where's the bread? So he takes a piece of fish, and it doesn't go through. He's just doing this party trick. He said, if I was a ghost, it wouldn't do that, right? And, and he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. A couple of observations about this. Uh, uh, um, one, sometimes a touch from God is standing in front of you, and because it doesn't fit your box, you miss it. Two, if it's happened to you, and can I get an amen, it's happened to all of us, right? If it's happened to you, does it stand to reason that it has happened to the people who frustrate you? Like, there's been times when people frustrate you, and you're like, why don't you just get what I'm saying? If it's happened to you, it's happened to them. And one of the things you see in Luke 24 is you see that it seems to be, even the closest 12 people to him, they could not get it until he opened their minds. Maybe it's not our responsibility to get people saved. Maybe it's not our responsibility to be the agent of conviction. Maybe it's our responsibility to create an atmosphere of the presence of God and an atmosphere of love that is conducive to allow the Holy Spirit to do His job, which is to do all the convicting and all the changing. Maybe, I should say something that's obvious, but maybe it's not so obvious. If the Holy Spirit's not convicting or for some reason can't convict because of hardness of heart, what hope do we have? We're not called to be the agents of conviction. We're called to be the agents of love and, and, and creating an environment where people can experience the presence of God. And then literally everything else is up to the Holy Spirit. Everything else is up to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Even the people who walked, talked, ate, slept with Jesus, even, even the people who camped out in gravestones with him, it says that they didn't know it until their eyes were opened by him. Sometimes it's just a matter of we need to give God the space to open someone else's eyes without rushing it. Now, so here's my question for us in this first session. What does resurrection mean for us today? What does it mean now? Well, a couple of observations of this. One, resurrection demonstrates that death has no power. What appears to be the end is just a new beginning. That's obvious. And and we, we should shout about that. We should scream about that. We should embrace that with all of our heart. That if you've lost someone that's close to you, if someone, someone if if you've lost a mom or a dad or or heaven forbid, a child or a sibling or so, and you're wondering, you're wondering, you know, one of the great things about Jesus is that in Jesus Christ, death doesn't get the last word, Jesus does. A, a later writer named Paul says it this way: because the resurrection is true. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? There's this obvious, sarcastic, underhanded, na-na-na-na-na-na. Jesus gets the last word, not death. What seems to be the end is just a new beginning. But it has bigger implications than than just physical death. Have you ever come to the end of a season in your life and you're like, oh, my life is over. But actually what you found when you look back on your story, and all of us have stories like this, is what seemed like our life was over was actually just a fresh start. 
Oh, my boss fired me. Oh, great. You thought it was the end of the world. But actually what you found three years later was that was the motivation you needed and the bravery and the opportunity for you to step out on your own and start your own business. And now what you're finding is you can't believe it took you 10 years to get the bravery to do it. But you were forced into it because of somebody else's decision. What seems to be the end is just a new beginning. I'm ashamed my wife left me. I know. She was awful. Ask your friends. Thank God. What seems to be the end is actually just a new beginning. But Shane, I think I, this thing happened, this transition, I feel like my life is over. Uh-uh, because of resurrection. Resurrection isn't just true once. Resurrection is true everywhere. What seems to be the end is just a new beginning too. Resurrection challenges the notion about what we were always taught. If we were wrong about death, what else could we be wrong about? Like honestly, it, it doesn't get any more common than death. I just love it when people say, Shane, that's not what I was always taught. Really? As if what you were always taught is going to stand the test of time. It's not going to stand the test of time. What you were always taught is not going to be the thing that 400 years from now is going to stand the test of time. Here's what's going to stand the test of time. Jesus was the Christ. He was crucified. The resurrection is true. That's what's going to stand the test of time. Everything else comes and goes. If we were to sit here tonight and brainstorm about things that the church thought was true 400 years ago, how much would we laugh at? The answer is almost all of it. 1633, the church put Galileo in hell. Here's why. Galileo said that the earth was moving around the sun. And that was a radical break, a revolutionary break from church doctrine. Church doctrine said the sun was moving around the earth. Galileo said, I'm just telling you, the earth moved around the sun. The church said, you know what? You're going to recant that or you'll go to hell. He said, whatever, bro. I'm just telling you, the earth is moving around the sun. So they put him in hell. You know, the church didn't let him out of hell till 1992 which is quite comical. It's like, hey, can we have Galileo back? You know, Galileo comes up out of hell all jacked up, right? He's like, man, I'm glad y'all got that right. It's hot as hell down there, right? (laughs) Well, Shane, that's just what I was always taught. Really? My grandfather was taught that black people don't have souls. That's just what I was always taught. I mean, at some point, the church had to stand up and go, just because grandpappy told you it was true doesn't mean it's true. In the, in the words of Colonel Sanders in the great movie, uh, The Water Boy, well, mama was wrong. <laughs> Resurrection challenges the notion about what we've always been taught. If we were wrong about death, death death's as common as they get. It doesn't get any more, that's what I was always taught then. You know what? I was always taught that when you die, you die. Turns out there's actually hope after death. The Christian idea that death isn't your last moment, that there's always more to your story. No matter how bad you're suffering, there's more to your story. No matter how much it seems it's over, there's more to your story. Resurrection screams that even in something that seems final like death, there's always more to your story. Always. Let's say it a couple different ways. Three, resurrection demonstrates the availability of new life right now. Jesus did not raise from the dead and then you never hear from him again. He just appears in heaven or something. No, 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 no. Jesus is seen walking around eating fish and bread and talking with real people. Resurrection was the inauguration of a new creation right 
now in our midst. The cross did not inaugurate a new reality. The cross simply showed you what Jesus was always like. The cross was not like, wow, that's something new. No, no. The cross was a physical manifestation of what was true before the foundation of the world. Resurrection, on the other hand, was the inauguration of a new creation bursting forth right in the middle of this one. Let's say it this way. Resurrection demonstrates that there is a new creation bursting forth in the middle of this one. It is a glimpse as to what is going to happen later. This kind of thing makes me rethink miracles. Like, follow me here. If everything before time was under God's dominion, and everything after time will be under God's dominion, then it's only in this short span of time in between those two things that we're given our own dominion and our challenge is, will you line up your dominion with God's dominion and let's call it the kingdom of God? But everything before time was under the dominion of God. And whether you like it or don't like it, learn to love it. Everything after time will be under the dominion of God. The only question is, will you line up your dominion with his dominion? So, so maybe, maybe when we see a miracle, anytime we see a miracle, our response is to go, wow, how did that happen? But actually because of resurrection, maybe a miracle looks back at us and goes, wow, how did all this happen? Right? <laughs> Maybe, maybe a miracle is actually the ultimate reality. It's a, maybe when a miracle happens is when we get a glimpse of the new creation that's already in place. But it's not just the Gospels that talk about resurrection. My question was, is how did the first century guys take it? What did they take away from it? And by far the most complicated guy was Paul. Paul writes an entire chapter in a book called Corinthians, chapter 15. It's 58 verses long. And when you read it, it, is so, it would take you six weeks to unpack all of it. There's all this deep theology in it. So you see that the mortal must take on the immortal in order to inherit the imperishable. What? So you see, because Christ is raised from the dead, there's no need to baptize dead people. Which leads to all kinds of questions like, is that actually a problem? There was all this complicated stuff. So you see, since Jesus Christ has rose from the dead, he rose as the first fruits of all who die. What? I mean, there's all this complicated theology in 1 Corinthians 15. But I love what he does. He does what all rabbis do. Rabbis, no matter how complicated they get, here's what they do. They always summarize the end. They always summarize the entire thing with one simple sentence, or they try not to teach it. Jesus summarized the entire Bible this way. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That, that's brilliant stuff. So I, so I read 1 Corinthians 15 and I thought, man, my goodness, that is too much. I'm trying to write one message that's too much. What does he summarize it as? So verse 58 gives a summary. Now you got all this stuff. The immortal must take on the immortal to inherit the imperishable. So there's no need to baptize dead people. And oh, death, where's your sting? And oh, Hades, where's your victory? And and, and, and Jesus rose from the dead being the firstborn of all who die. And, and all of this stuff. So watch his summary. Watch what he says. Therefore, since all that other stuff's true, watch this. My brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So he summarizes 57 verses of resurrection theology with one sentence. How you live today matters. See, see, one of the things that, that the New Testament writers insisted upon was this, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And that wasn't a doctrinal statement as much as it was a value statement about what God is like. It, it's sort of like this. If a four-year-old, if a four-year-old came to you and said, mommy, 
daddy, auntie, uncle, pastor, cousin, whoever. A four-year-old comes up and says, um, mommy, daddy, auntie, uncle, pastor, I drew you a picture. Well, unless that four-year-old is highly gifted, that picture is going to be awful, right? And so, you look at, and so you look at the picture, and what do you do? You look at the picture, and you look at the little girl, and you look at the picture, and you look at the little girl, and you look at the picture, and you look at the little girl, and finally you're so disgusted with how awful the picture is that you rip the picture up, you throw it away, and you tell the little girl plainly, come back when you learn how to draw, little girl. Because raise up a child in the way they should go, and in the end, yeah, right? No, you don't do that. Why? Because you have a soul. And if you have a soul, right, what do you do? You look at this awful picture and you go. Oh. It's beautiful. If you're really brave, you might do this. What is it? She says, what do you mean? It's a windmill. You say, oh, of course it is. There's no wind nor a mill in this. But I, that's the most beautiful windmill I have ever seen. And what if she says, what if she, what if she reaches in her pocket and grabs a, I don't know, a pen, a pencil, a, a marker, a color thing, a crayon, a... a um, you can tell I don't have children. A paintbrush, right? What, what, she says, you draw. What do you do? Do you get a fresh piece of paper and draw a proper windmill and go, next time you do it, that's how it's done right there. <laughs> no, what do you do? You enter into her picture, and then you make it better. That's what the rabbis insisted Jesus did. That Jesus loved the world so much that he wasn't ready to scrap the broken picture of the world. But he was willing to humble himself and enter into the broken picture no matter how broken it is. And commit himself to fixing it even if it cost him his life. So anytime you see a story on the internet about God is fixing to judge the world. There's a word for that. It's Latin. It's called bullimus crapimus. If you need a translation into English, see Brett. He'll tell you. It's, 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 it's a very complicated Latin word, bullimus crapimus, right? If, if, if God was going to judge the world, he would have already done it. The resurrection showed that this world still matters enough to God to enter into the broken picture. No matter how broken that picture is, Jesus entered into it with a commitment to fix it. And the world is getting better. He's winning. You ever hear somebody talking about, oh, can you believe how bad the world's gotten? And what, where? Name one place the world's worse than it was 400 years ago. People say, oh, Shane, can you believe how bad the sexual immorality problem has gotten? Compared to what? A new study that was just released last week says that the average 24-year-old person today will have half as many sexual partners as, as their grandparents did in the 50s. Why? Because it was all a secret then. Has less power now. Half! Half. Can you believe how bad the sexual immorality problem? What, compared, compared to the 15th century in the British Empire, where the law in Scotland was you had to give your wife to a British soldier before your wedding night? That. You want to go back to that? Oh, that's the good old days. Compared to first century Corinth? You, everything's getting better. Everything. Would you rather be a woman today or a woman in 1950? Or in 1850? Or in 1550? 
where, where 85% of the women in the world were still considered property. Would you rather be, would you rather be African today or in, or in 1950 or in 1850 or in 1550? Is God done redeeming African rights? No, he's not, but it is a much better place today than it used to be. Oh, yeah. Is God done redeeming women's rights? No, he's not, but it's a much better place today than it used to be. God's winning. Would you rather have dental work today or in 1950? <laughs> the world's getting better. Would you, would you, rather, would you rather have a, a, a colonic thing? You know where they, uh, what do you call that thing? A colon, um, a colon, uh, where, they look up in, where they look up in your butt, right? They, they take a camera and they look up in there, right? right? Would, would, you, would, would you rather have one of them today or in 1950? <laughs> today is a fairly easy process. 1950... We're just going to loop this up and gently insert it. And we're going to take a look up in there by God. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know what we're going to see. But... <laughs> this is only going to hurt for a second, but you're going to remember it for a whole life. I'll tell you right now. By <laughs> oh, Brother Shane, can you believe how bad the world's gotten? Where? The world's getting better, not worse. And that stands to reason. You know why? Resurrection. Resurrection demonstrated that God was not ready to scrap the world. He was committed to entering into the broken picture of the world and fix it. Let's say it this way. Um, next slide. Resurrection declares that this, world's matter, that this world matters enough to God. It is still good enough and valuable enough for God to start the process of reconciling the whole broken thing to himself. It's getting better. It's getting better. Everything's getting better. Medicine, better. Women's rights, better. Being black, better. Everything's better. Everything's better. Is God done? No, he's not done. But it's so much better. You know what they tell me? They tell me Richard Branson is working on a plane. He's already got the patent that can go from Sydney to Dallas in four hours. (sighs) Sydney to Dallas in four hours! Sign me up. Now, believe me, I'm going to let them do it a few hundred times before I get on that thing. Because how fast is it going? Can you imagine landing in Dallas and your partner next to you looks at you and goes, Oh, sweetie, I'm sorry, you just, you just have something on your neck right there. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, it's your butt, right? It's like, oh! God, I went so fast, my head came out my own butt. That, like, you'd want to make sure that wouldn't happen. Like, the view from down here is amazing. Like, you'd want to make sure that wasn't going to happen. But, man, the world's getting better. But that's not all. Check this out. Let's take it this way. Let's take it another step forward. Paul, after 57 verses of theology, says, So you see how you live today matters. Everything, your work for the Lord is not in vain. In other words, let's say it this way. Uh, next slide. Uh, resurrection means that how you speak, act, and treat others matters because God is restoring creation and you should be partnering with him to restore the world. Which leads me to this question. What have you done recently to partner with Jesus to restore the world? You know, Fred Hollows heals blind kids' eyes for 30 bucks. If you don't do nothing else, go home tonight and give him 30 bucks. And I get nothing from that. I just know what they do. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. What what have you done in the last 30 days for orphans, widows? What have you done in the last 30 days for, for women caught in the horrendous cycle of sex trafficking? What have you done? What have you done to partner with Jesus to make the world a better place? Or you just, well, I'm just waiting to go to heaven. That's crazy. That that denies resurrection. 
Well, it doesn't deny it. It just misses the point of it. But that's not all. So that was Paul's take. Here's Peter's take. I love Peter's take. Here's, here's what Peter says. Praise be, um, this is 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth. So Peter says, if you want to understand resurrection, I want you to understand it's like being born again. It's like new birth. Which I, I'm looking through the crowd and I don't see one and that's okay. But is anybody, is anybody sitting in here right now, do you have a freshly made baby next to you? Any, anybody bring a freshly made baby tonight? No, that's okay. If someone had a freshly made baby and I brought them up here, let's say the baby was very, very small. And I, and I, and I, and I grabbed the baby. I would be far more terrified of it than it would be of me. And I, and I grabbed the baby. What would the whole room do? Now, now what, is, what is the difference between that freshly made baby and you? It's, well, why is it, why is it cute? And some of us aren't so cute. What's, 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 what's the, what's the main difference? Here's the main difference. Pain. That baby hasn't lived long enough to know that I could be dangerous. It hasn't lived long enough to be disappointed. It hasn't lived long enough to be betrayed or lied to. It hasn't woke up and not been fed and by two o'clock in the afternoon had to have a chat with its mom that goes something like this. You know what? You promised me breast milk today and you failed to deliver. (laughs) And I'm just feeling so hurt and betrayed by that. (laughs) No, no. If if, if the mom handed me the baby, the baby would have no thought. This crazy man doesn't have any children. He doesn't know how to hold one. He might drop me. No, just completely at ease. Here's what Peter says. Peter says, if you want to know what resurrection means to you, here's what it means. It's an opportunity for you to trust again. It's an opportunity for rebirth. It's an opportunity for you to not make the next group of people pay for the sins of the former group of people. It's an opportunity not to hold bitterness against those people that hurt you. It's an opportunity not to be bitter against injustice. It's an opportunity to relax and trust and be molded and made into a different person. It's new birth. That was Peter's take. Let's say it this way. Resurrection offers new birth, an imagery that gives hope to a do-over, a fresh start, a new hope and a belief that says how it has always been isn't necessarily how it will always be. How it has always been isn't necessarily how it will always be. That's resurrection. In other words, to Peter, it wasn't just that death doesn't win. It's that life does. It's not just that death loses, life wins. Now, here's, here's another one from Paul. This is from Romans. This is what it says. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. There's that slave driver term again. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. 
Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And essentially saying, because Jesus is raised from the dead, he was brought from death to life. What I want you to see is even though you weren't resurrected, I want you to see that you yourself were brought from death to life. And just like death doesn't have mastery over Jesus anymore, so too sin doesn't have mastery over you. In this context, resurrection wasn't about the forgiveness of sins. It was about the freedom from the mastery sin has over us. It's not just forgiveness for anger. It's freedom from the hold anger has. Watch this. And every, offer every part of, your, of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under law. You're under grace. It's essentially, you will either, let me just say this, resurrection screams at us. You're either giving your life to something that's bringing death, darkness, and disrepair to the world, or you're giving your life to something that is participating with Jesus and fixing the world. Are you brave enough to at least do an assessment of what you've given your life to? And if you think, I don't know what I've given my life to, the answer answers itself. Purposely doing that. Let's say it this way. Resurrection offers the opportunity to be free from whatever is driving your life. Fear, rejection, pain, the need to control, greed, hoarding, lust, anger, all things that lead to death, darkness, and decrease, and to, its, and to submit to a new world order. In other words, there's a new creation. It's just happened right in front of you. I'm inviting you to participate with the risen Christ in the tikkun olam, the repairing of the world, and that's going to require you individually and systemically to move away from things that have caused death, darkness, and decrease, because if you pay attention, it doesn't have control over you one more day. Maybe we can say it this way. This, is, um, this was N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright says it this way. Uh, next slide. One theologian says it this way. The, the, the first Christian imagery of resurrection was vibrant and noisy. Don't worry, don't, don't worry, we're, we're, just, we're just in the middle of something here. One, one, one theologian says it this way. The, the, the first Christian imagery of resurrection was vibrant and noisy. You missed your opportunity there. The first Christian imagery of resurrection was vibrant and noisy. <laughs> Let's try that again. That's fine. The first Christian imagery of resurrection was vibrant and noisy. <laughs> it rings with a victorious shout, like in the middle of a nap, hearing the burst of a trombone. That's great imagery. You imagine that? Like you're in an afternoon nap and you're just like, you're all groggy and then someone wakes you up by putting a trombone next to your ear hole and blowing as hard as he can. It rings with a victorious shout, like in the middle of a nap, hearing the burst of a trombone. It rings in your head as a wake-up call to those who awake to the lie that today is just a repeat of yesterday. Woo! I love it. Let me, maybe we can say it this way. Resurrection screams aloud about the old way. He isn't here. Hey, where's that, um, where's that guy I met in here that he was a former gang member, really had a lot of problems. And Wait a minute. No, 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 no. Resur- Resurrection says he's. Not here. There's different stuff here. Oh, that that old guy, he's not even recognizable anymore. Where's that girl I met that had a few abortions and 
the pain of it was just destroying her. But now her eyes seem full of life and energy, and she's, she can't wait to be a part of what Jesus has for her. Where, where is she? Resurrection says, she's not here. Where, where's, where's that lady that, that, that told me that, that she, um, she, used to, uh, she used to, she grew up in a home where you, the only way you get your way is to scream and yell. So she created a, a culture in her home where you get your way by screaming and yelling and moaning and complaining. And it was causing so much problems. But she entered into resurrection and partnered with Jesus to bring life to her world. And resurrection says, she's not here. Where's that guy I met with the violent temper that used to, it was about to destroy his life? Resurrection screams, he's not here. What about that depressive person? Resurrection screams, he's not here. What about the thief, the failure, the fearful person, the one that no matter what you do, it doesn't work? What about that person that lacked confidence? What about the person who seemed to always stay in poverty? Resurrection isn't just about one guy at one moment at one time. Resurrection, the New Testament writers insist, is about those old people there, not here. Resurrection says that you don't have to live out of your old self anymore, but a new creation wasn't just true for the earth. It was true for you. So let's wrestle with a few of these questions then. One, is there any place in your world that you believe that tomorrow is just a repeat of yesterday? Did you wake up this morning with the thought, you know what? My life is what it is. It's just a repeat of yesterday. You know what? I'm urging you to position yourself in cooperation with the infinite possibilities God has for your life and resurrection. I urge you to embrace that. He's not here. Today does not have to be a repeat of yesterday. May you wake up from that nap to the lie that today is just a repeat of yesterday by a trombone bursting in your ear hole. Wake up! It's not have to be the same. Say it this way too. The world matters enough to God to fix it. Where are we participating in it? Or are you just sitting around waiting to go to heaven? Let's get right down to nitty gritty. Besides your family, whose life is better because of you this week? This month? This year? Besides your family, where have you reached out beyond that? Let's say it this way. Number four. Where is the old guy still alive in you? Where is the remnants of the old guy still alive in you? And what Jesus is asking you to do, he's not asking you to fight the old guy. He's asking you to embrace the new guy so strongly that the old guy doesn't stand a chance. Jesus never fights sin, ever. He simply presents a new life that's so, so provocative. It's so compelling that that, that people grab hold of it and latch hold of it so much. He, He said it this way. He said, the life I'm sharing with you is like finding the best treasure you've ever seen in a field you don't own. So what you do is you go buy the whole field. Jesus says, look at this life. Where's the old guy still alive in you? Maybe we can wrestle with it this way. Will you make a commitment to demonstrating resurrection instead of just announcing it? It's easy to announce resurrection. Christ the Lord is risen. Give me a fish. Put her on my car. I actually want a big giant one on a spring. I can put it on the top of the car and it goes like this going down the road. Christ is risen. It's easy to announce it. That's not the challenge. 
The challenge is to demonstrate it. Oh, sweetie, you didn't have food yesterday. And you woke, you woke up today with the belief that today is just a repeat of yesterday for you. But you know what? I am here. And because I just walked in your life, resurrection came in with you, with me. You know what? Today is not a repeat of yesterday for you. You're going to have food for the rest of your life. Oh, my, my bro, you didn't have a coat yesterday. And it's starting to turn cold in New Zealand. And you know what? You... you you woke up this morning thinking, oh, my life never changes. I got good news for you. I just walked in your life. And when I walked in your life, the risen Christ walked in it with me. And the risen Christ is resurrected. So when I walked in your life, resurrection walked in with me. You might not have had a coat yesterday, but today's a new day because resurrection just invaded your world. <laughs> See, when you make a commitment to demonstrate resurrection instead of just announcing it, you can change your world. And that has nothing to do with arguing theology. That's boring and uncompelling. What's far more interesting and compelling is finding people who believe that today is just a repeat of yesterday and prove them wrong. Bring resurrection to their world. Bring hope to their suffering. Prove to them that tomorrow is not necessarily a repeat of yesterday. Be the trombone in the ear hole. Wake up! Jesus just touched your life. It's a new day. All right, we're going to take a 20-minute break. Um, on your, uh, during the break, if you'd come by our table, please, and avail yourself of, of the resources there. You can help bring resurrection to girls caught in sex trafficking in Cape Town just simply by buying CDs, USBs, direct downloads, all that stuff, all right? So we're going to take a 20-minute break. Do you have something? You, or we just...